Michaela Nicole May Prestridge was murdered on October 26, 2018, and this is her friend Katie's story. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Amory is a city located in the northeastern part of Mississippi. Amory was founded as a planned railroad town. The Kansas City, Memphis, and Birmingham Railroad was expanding in the south and needed a midpoint between Memphis, Tennessee, and Birmingham, Alabama to service their locomotives. They laid out the new town of Amory, Mississippi, near the Alabama border, in 1887. The main employment in Amory rests in the areas of wood pulp processing and furniture and textile industries. Amory caters to families and is full of fun activities. The annual Amory Main Street Fall Festival and Chili Cook-Off are held in the park, along with Relay for Life, Senior Day, and Amory High School Senior Walk. The National Guard Old Armory is a beautiful asset to this city. The yearly flashback dance, junior auxiliary charity ball, and the daddy-daughter dance sponsored by Beta Sigma Phi Beta Nu are all held here. The people of Amory loved that the National Guard Old Armory included concerts that were performed by Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash. People loved to boat and ski on the Tennessee Tom Bigbee or 10 Tom waterway, which links commercial navigation from the nation's midsection to the Gulf of Mexico. Its waters are loaded with many favorite freshwater fish species, including catfish, crappie, bream, and largemouth bass. Its depth ranges from four to 10 feet, so it is one of the first bodies of water to warm each spring and summer, which makes for an extended boating season. It provides approximately 15,000 acres of navigatable water. There are four lakes along its north to south path through Monroe County, including the Smithville Lake, the Amory Lake, the Aberdeen Lake, and the Columbus Lake. Kayla was an outdoor enthusiast who loved to spend her days exploring and visiting new and different places. Her adventurous spirit made everyone want to be part of her life. She was kind, generous, outgoing, and loving. With Kayla, you always knew what kind of a friend you had because she loved openly and wholeheartedly. She never treated people badly, instead encouraging those around her to also live free and enjoy life. Kayla had a daughter the baby girl she loved so much and wanted nothing more than to teach and watch her grow and thrive, sharing every possible experience she could with her. Kayla's world seemed right once her daughter was born. 
Nothing else seemed important anymore. Kayla fought hard to overcome the struggles in her life. She was a fun-loving teenager who enjoyed going to parties, but never experienced anything more than the typical teenager on any given Friday night. She and her friends would head out looking for fun, but nothing ever got out of control. They stayed away from the people that were trouble, instead enjoying each other's company. Then she met someone, someone her friends knew from their teen years as the guy to stay away from. But Kayla fell for his charms and things quickly deteriorated in her life. She began to lose control of herself. The fun-loving young woman made some poor choices and along with the nudge from the new man in her life began to use drugs. She lost herself in them. She began the battle that only those that know addiction can truly understand. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, fine. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your best friend and what kind of relationship you guys had. <sighs> okay, so uh, we're from a small town in North Mississippi, and uh, I moved from New Mexico, and whenever I moved to North Mississippi, I didn't obviously know anybody. I didn't have friends or anything, and she, uh, her name is Kayla, and she was kind of one that she just took me in immediately, and she was like, okay, we're friends. That's it. Like, oh, that's she, nice. she just took me under her wing, so we remained friends, and all the way through middle school, through high school, and she was, is one of my best friends, even to this day. I still talk to her like she's here, and I don't think that'll ever change. And when she was murdered, we had been friends for 13 years, and it was a, it was a slap in the face. It was, it was not expected which I don't, I don't think it's ever expected, but she was just a carefree soul. She just, she always, her soul was just free all the time. She never, she was just always on a whim. She never planned anything. She never procrastinated anything. She always just done something. And when she done it, you was like, what are you, what are you doing? (laughs) So it was, it was definitely, definitely a punch in the gut. Whew. She loved the outside. She loved going and seeing things. She loved traveling and being a mom was her. I think, I think being a mom was the best thing that ever happened to her. And after she had her daughter, you just knew that that, that's where she was supposed to be all her life. That's what she was supposed to be. And after she become a mom, everything just made sense of why she is the way that she is. She was such a free spirit and going, 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 going. And I remember telling my mom after Kayla had had her daughter, our daughters are six days apart. And 
I remember telling my mom that I was so excited for Kayla and her daughter because I knew Kayla would show her daughter the world and not just give her the world, but show her the world because that's the type of person that she was. Kayla was born into a home with an older brother. She and her brother had the type of sibling relationship that was full of love and fights. But they had that special sibling bond that is tight. They loved each other very much. Kayla's mother has a love for her daughter that is enviable to those that know them. Kayla had a big heart and would truly help anyone that needed it. She found being a mother to be her single greatest accomplishment and was the driving force for her to stop using drugs. When Kayla began her tumble into the world of addiction, her friends wanted nothing more than to help her. But seeing the life she was living, they had to back away. Katie couldn't watch her do that to herself. Watching her best friend stumble was heartbreaking to see, and she knew that she had so much more to offer herself and her daughter. At the time of her death, Kayla was clean for six months, and she and Katie had begun rebuilding their relationship. Katie never stopped loving her, even when Kayla was in her worst state. These girls met when they were 12 years old. They grew up together. They knew each other better than anyone. No one would have ever expected Kayla to begin using drugs, not in their wildest of imaginations. I never wanted that for her. I, kn I knew she was better than that. But, I, I don't know, it's, it doesn't make sense. She met a guy, and that's, that's where the drug started. He was a known drug addict. I I knew him whenever I was a teenager. He was around us, but he was never around us for more than a few minutes. We knew that he was a known drug addict, so we never allowed ourselves to be around him more than just a few minutes. And so when we grew up and I moved on, I got married, I started having kids, and I found out she was dating him, I was like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? When I found out that she was on drugs, I just, I told her, I said, Kayla, I'll love you for the rest of my life, but I can't, I can't watch you kill yourself. Katie did what was right for her family, her husband and children. She knows the world where drugs are involved can be a dangerous one. She was a, a Damn good mom. She gave every bit of herself to her daughter. Then drugs come back around. That lasted not very long. And then she decided she was going to get clean and stay clean. When, when she was murdered, she was clean. She had not done drugs. Her autopsy shows that, or her toxicology shows that she was injected with drugs, but it never had a chance to make it to her brain. So we know that the drugs were in her system after the brain injury. Because Kayla was pulling herself away from this world, the ones where drugs had taken over, she knew that she had to extricate herself fully from the father of her child and all that went on with him. 
She moved in with her mother to get a fresh start. Kayla knew this was the best place for her and her daughter to live, in a home where they would be safe and shielded from the life she no longer wanted. Not for her, and not for her precious daughter. Kayla's mom actually has full custody of Kayla's daughter now, but Kayla's mother and her relationship was very up and down through our teenage years. And as a mother myself now that is raising teenagers, I can see where Kayla's mother, Debbie, where Debbie's frustration come in with Kayla with the us wanting to go out on the weekends and she knew we was partying. She caught us sneaking out. She she knew what we was doing and I could see where her frustration was coming from. But as teenagers, Kayla nor I wanted to see that. There were which mine and Kayla's other best friend, her name is Stormy. We she's been friends with us just as long and she was always around with us. We never understood Debbie's frustration. We always thought that she was just being mean. She didn't want us to live our life. And now, as mothers, we get it. But when Kayla grew up and became an adult, I think Debbie and Kayla's relationship really blossomed. Like it, it was like a complete circle. It was just, it was different, and Debbie loved Kayla, still does so much. She loves her so much, and I always say, if I can love my kids half as much as Debbie loves Kayla, I will be doing something right, because she loves her daughter so much. She has a brother. Is the brother older or younger? Older. Older. Okay, so he was the mm-hmm. eldest, and then, and then Kayla. Mm-hmm. And what was their relationship? Kayla was the baby. Kayla was the baby. And what was their mm-hmm. relationship like? Brother and sister. Okay, <laughs> typical brother and sister. Love hate. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's right. Okay, she okay. loved to be in his business, and he loved to hate it. Yes. So. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. That's and uh, they. They would throw hands with each other so fast, <laughs> and Kayla typically would win. <laughs> oh, boy, good for her. <laughs> but he loved his sister, and she loved her Bubba. Tell me about the horrible day that you found out that your best friend had been murdered. So, October twenty second, 2018, it was at 9.36 in the morning. I was asleep. I had three small children, and my husband was deployed to Iraq. At 9.36 in the morning, my phone started ringing, and I was like, who is, like, who is this calling me? And it was a weird number, so I, after, like, three or four times calling, I answered it, and I was like, hello, and it was a girl that I went to school with. She said, hey, have you heard? And I said, heard what and she said Kayla's in the hospital I was like for what is she sick and she said no there's been an accident and I said an accident what are you talking about she said I don't know the details I don't know what happened but she's being life flighted 
to Tupelo Hospital from Amory. I said, okay. So uh, I get off the phone with her, and I immediately get on Facebook, and I start looking, and I start reading. Everything just said, pray for Kayla, pray for Kayla, pray for Kayla. And I was like, what? Like, what is going on? So I either messaged Debbie on Facebook or I text her, and I didn't hear anything back, which I fully expected to not hear anything back. But then I messaged Kayla's aunt, and I said, what happened to Kayla? And she said, I don't know, she's in ICU. They're saying she jumped out of a car. Katie sat there in her home with her three children, not knowing what to do, knowing there was nothing she could do. She waited for updates. Katie had no one to watch her children and certainly couldn't take them to the hospital. Her husband was in Iraq. So she sat by her phone, just waiting for news, desperate for her phone to ring. At 11 o'clock that night, I get a call from a lady named Miss Angie, which was also one of our friend's moms. And she said, it doesn't look good. Kayla's on full life support. All we know is that she's jumped out of a vehicle. My gut just kept telling me that's not Kayla. That's that's not who she is. Kayla, Kayla always, she never, she would never do that. If you knew Kayla, you would know she would never do that. Something just kept telling me that's not Kayla. That's not who she is. That's not what she would do. She has a daughter. She, like, she wouldn't leave her daughter like this. She wouldn't kill herself and leave her daughter with nobody. So uh, the hospital told Debbie, I don't know if it was that Monday or that Tuesday, but they did tell Debbie that Kayla's injuries were not consistent with jumping out of a vehicle at any rate of speed because there was no abrasions, there was no cuts, scrapes, anything. There was nothing to lead them to believe she jumped out of a vehicle. Well, on October 26, 2018, Kayla donated her organs, and she died. Katie is thankful that the day of the funeral was the day her husband came home. She was able to pick him up from the airport, no longer having to stand alone. She was grieving and trying to make it through the days. She now had her husband to lean on. It was, it was a very exhausting time. It's still, it's still exhausting. There's nights that, there's days that I can't get out of bed. I, I don't want to get out of bed. There's days that it just hurts to breathe. It hurts to even function. I never, me, Stormy, her mom, her brother, her dad that raised her. I mean, none of us, nobody got closure. None of us got to say goodbye. The last time I hugged her was in a grocery store. 
she squeezed me as tight as she could, and she always did. Anytime she gave anybody a hug, she she just squeezed you till you told her it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last three weeks before she died. Was the was the last time that I laid eyes on her. I told her that I loved her. She said, love you too. And she squeezed me and I told her, I said, damn it, Kayla, that hurts. <laughs> she said, I'll get you every time. And she walked away. And I just remember standing at my buggy, just watching her walk away. Oh, I never ran after her. I never, and if I, if I knew now, I wouldn't have ever let her go. <laughs> they said, I love you. And Katie is so thankful they had that moment. She and the other friend that made up their trio have since made a pact. Since that day when they found out Kayla had been murdered, they will never go another day without speaking. And they haven't. Although they can't necessarily see each other every day, they are sure to touch base and say, I love you. The reality of loss so sadly embedded in them. Katie knows that Kayla felt she was loved and that is important to her. Thankful that Kayla knew love, true love, from friends and family. Not everyone knows they are, nor does everyone have that last moment with their friend saying I love you. This memory will always sit on the edge of Katie's heart, replaying as a favorite song might. This is the story of Kayla Nicole May Prestridge's murder. So tell me, after, after she died, what happened next? What was the, when did the police get involved in this investigation, if you can talk about that part? Okay, so uh, on October 22nd, I'm going to go back and I'm just going to tell you the entire story. Yep, perfect, go for it. On, on October 22nd, 2018, at roughly 5.30-ish, and it was a few minutes after 5.30, I don't remember the exact time, but a text message had come through to Debbie's phone from Kayla, and it said, hey, can you come pick me up at Exxon, which is just a gas station in the middle of Amory. <laughs> it's, it's one of the busier gas stations. That's where everybody goes. It's When you come into Amory, that's the first gas station you come to. At Debbie lived out in the country, and she, so obviously for her to get into Amory, it took her 10 minutes or so, while her alarm didn't go off until 6 o'clock in the morning to get up and get ready for work. Well, whenever she woke up and her alarm went off, she seen she had the text message, so she texted back and said, okay, let me get dressed, I'm on my way. Well, as Debbie's coming across the big bridge to come into Amory, it's called the Tom Bigby Bridge. As she's going across that, she gets another message that says, come to the hospital, Kayla's in the ER. Well, Debbie makes it to the hospital, and they, I believe that they had already left with Kayla in the helicopter, and Debbie seen the helicopter. Well, what happened was Kayla's daughter's father had dropped Kayla off at the hospital when he arrived at Amory Hospital with her. He, he just went in and told them that 
she couldn't walk and that pretty much he needed help getting her out of the car. So the nurse comes out, realizes, like, this is a code, like, code blue. So they immediately intubate her, everything like that, request for the helicopter to come get her. Well, she was, I want to say that they said that there was almost no brain activity, but there was still some. She was still responding to, I guess, like whenever they check your reflexes and stuff, she still had reflexes on one side of her body. Um, Whenever she got to Tupelo Hospital, well, when Kayla got, when, when the helicopter left with Kayla in Amory, the sheriff's department and police department had both responded. The hospital requested that they come because they knew, like, all they know is this girl is at the hospital and something traumatic has happened. Well, Kayla's daughter's father had said that, which his name is Jonathan. Jonathan had said that she jumped out of a vehicle going 25 miles per hour. Well, they took the report. That was it. She gets to Tupelo Hospital, they take her in for surgery, she gets out of surgery, they put her in ICU, she's on full life support. Mississippi Bureau of Investigation then shows up. I believe that it was on that Monday, if not, it was that Tuesday that they showed up. They just went with a statement that she jumped out of a moving vehicle. Tupelo Hospital, the doctor that was overseeing her case, put in her medical records, it is really a lack of any significant abrasions that would suggest jumping from a car at any rate of speed. That's when they started questioning, you know, did she really jump from a vehicle? Like, did she really? Well, the doctors were saying there was, there's no way she jumped from a vehicle. There's no way. There's no scratches. There's no bruising, no bumps, no cuts, no scrape, no nothing, nothing. There's no marks on her, period. Aside of like a needle mark on her hip and and then the mark where they had her IV in. That would be the only other abrasion that showed on her autopsy is where they had her IV in, in her arm. And then the hot shot mark on her hip where they hot shotted her. <sighs> They do brain scan, brain scan, brain scan. They told Debbie, you know, like, this is it. You need to make a decision. This is it. So she does. She decides, you know, Kayla would not want to live like this, and she wouldn't have. So Debbie made the decision to donate Kayla's organs, and she did. When he, when Jonathan arrived to the hospital with Kayla, she had on two pairs of pants that was not not hers and not her size, and three shirts that was covered in blood. Now, keep in mind, there was no cuts, scrapes, anything on Kayla, period. But there was blood all over the shirts that she was wearing. And she had on no bra, no underwear, Nothing like she was wearing clothes that was not hers and clothes that did not even fit her. They, the sheriff's department didn't take those for evidence, anything. So Monroe County, after Debbie decides to pull the plug and donate Kayla's organs, Monroe County Sheriff's Department, the sheriff at the time told Debbie 
you just need to face the fact that she killed herself. Debbie knew everybody that knows Kayla knows Kayla would Kayla wouldn't kill herself. And so we didn't let things go. Just because they said it was a suicide, we knew different. Debbie started doing research of her own, started talking to people that was with Kayla that night that knew things that happened. Then whenever Kayla was sent off for her autopsy and toxicology, it just kind of confirmed that we were, in fact, correct. It was not a suicide. She didn't jump from a vehicle. I'm going to put her autopsy up because I have it right here on my phone. It says, report of postmortem examination, blunt, multiple blunt trauma, posterior scalp contusion, basal skull fracture, subdural hemorrhage, subbrachinoid hemorrhage, abrasion of right lower back, which is where the hot shot was, and abrasion of posterior right elbow which is where her IV was, cause of death, multiple blunt trauma, multiple blunt trauma, manner of death undetermined. Mississippi Bureau of Investigation opened a case. It went cold. There have been people that's wanted to give statements to MBI and Monroe County that they won't take their statements. Um, me and Stormy called the lead investigator of Monroe County that was the first one on the scene when everything happened to Kayla, we 20 questioned him, and he pretty much told us that her autopsy shows that it was a suicide and that we don't know what we're talking about. So I pulled the autopsy up. I started reading it off to him, and I told him, I said, I don't know what autopsy you have, but the one I have plainly says that it was not from jumping from a vehicle. He didn't want to hear that. Then we've been threatened that um, we need to sit down and be quiet, um, there's a recording of Jonathan saying that he thought about his exact words was he thought about dumping that bitch's body. Mm. That's on recording. A hot shot is an intentionally lethal dose of a drug that is introduced into the body by way of intravenous injection. Different stories are coming out all the time. Kayla's boyfriend always changing his. And Katie would like to know why he didn't call 911. If an accident happens, isn't that the typical response? She knows without a doubt that if someone jumped out of her car, she would certainly not move the person. She would be sure their neck was stable in case of serious injury and she would call 911 and follow their instructions. This jumping out of the car incident supposedly happened on a county road in one of his stories, which is not completely paved, but there was no road rash. Kayla had no marks on her body, no bumps, no bruises, no abrasions of any sort. Katie called the boyfriend and asked for answers he told her to sit down and shut up or he will press charges. And Katie says, until the day I die, I will not sit down and shut up. Katie plans to fight forever. When Katie presses the detectives for any information, any tidbit that may shed light on the investigation, she is hung up on. When Katie asked the detective to put himself in Kayla's mother's shoes and do something, give them some information, 
keep them updated, he hung up the phone again. She has it all recorded. Mostly, the detectives simply don't answer the phone. Because I will not sit down, I will not shut up, I will forever speak her name. Forever for the rest of my life. The case has gone cold. Katie has so many people that want to give statements, but the police just won't seem to do their job. The autopsy report is decisively clear, but the police just don't want to work on this case. Multiple blunt force trauma and not consistent with someone jumping out of a car. That is what the autopsy report so clearly states. So often though, the police make decisions based on people's life choices and how they perceive them. This is despicable and unacceptable. My husband fully supports every bit of it. He, he's been amazing through it all. He's been so supportive on the days that I don't even want to function because he still loves me. Katie is not going to give up. She is going to fight even through obvious grief and sadness and loss. She continues to find the courage to fight for her friend. So now, what what are you doing now to help your fight for Kayla? Tell me a little bit about um, some of the things you're doing. We have, we are trying to currently at this time raise funds for attorneys and there are a few attorneys and I don't want to on the record say where they're at but there are attorneys there are attorneys throughout this state that are willing to look into her case and expose the people that should be exposed bring it to a preliminary hearing. Our hopes is to bring it to a preliminary hearing, let the grand jury hear it, see if there's enough evidence to charge anyone. Do it that way. Through attorneys and private investigators. Getting the funds to do it has been the hardest part. And we have an auction going right now. We're actively raising funds. There's a GoFundMe set up. There's, we're, the springtime is coming. Our plans is to have a softball tournament. Our kids, I have five children. My other best friend, Stormy, she's got two kids. And then there's Joey Lane, which is Kayla's daughter. We're planning on doing car washes and stuff this summer just to get as much money as we can until we have the money to hire an attorney and private investigators. We also have a Facebook page set up. It's a closed group because of... Well, Jonathan's family, and there's restraining orders and stuff with him that prevents him and his family from ever being able to have contact with Debbie or Joey Lane or Eddie, which is Kayla's, I say dad, because that's her dad. That's the one that raised her. But there are restraining orders and stuff, so it's a closed group. But there is a Facebook page set up, and it's called Justice for Kayla. How much fear did she feel when she knew that that was it? I've really struggled with, was she in pain? Did she see it coming? There's someone from a whole other state, a few states away, that has looked at 
Kellis Hospital records from Amory and Tupelo, her autopsy toxicology. And they say that this is definitely a murder. And they look at things like this every day, every day they see this. They say it's not a suicide. This, There's no way this was a suicide of her jumping out of a vehicle. This was a homicide. She was hit with something or she was, her head was hit on something intentionally to cause that much damage. But whoever done it knew what they was doing to not leave any evidence. Um, December of 2019, it was supposed to go to grand jury. It was MBI was supposed to take Kayla's case to the grand jury for a preliminary hearing, and they never did. Um, Debbie email has emailed multiple times. One of her emails that she got back from, I want to say it was either the medical examiner or one of the investigators for MBI, but someone emailed her back and told her that she needed to quit contacting them. And when they had answers for her, they would contact her. But she needed to quit contacting them. Such terrible treatment of victims' families seems to happen all too often. Officers need courses on tact, compassion, and kindness. Katie has decided that she is going to go to college to become a homicide investigator. She wants to help families get their cases solved and be treated with the respect they deserve. Katie has found her passion. What a friend Kayla has. This strong and courageous woman who not only is fighting for justice now for her dear friend, but will be going back to school to continue the fight for Kayla and others. The case is not closed. The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation says it is an open investigation. The family and friends of Kayla don't know if they are working on it, however, as they don't receive updates, nor do most of their calls go answered. It is so brutal for families to have to go through this. Ah, Stormy, Debbie, Eddie, Andy, none of us will sit down and be quiet until someone is behind bars, until someone is charged for what they done to her. And I get having justice is not going to bring her back. It's not going to give her back to us. But she needs to rest. Her her grave has been vandalized. Her She has a bench. Her mother put a bench out there ordered one it has her daughter's handprints in it and on the front of the bench it says in Kayla's handwriting all souls are meant to be free and that was the quote that Kayla lived by all souls are meant to be free and that is what reads on her bench at her grave and that bench has been vandalized someone carved a skull into it like she's just I feel like she's not able to rest and me and Stormy, we've spent countless hours. We've lost days of sleep. I'm sure if you added it up, it's days and days and days of sleep that we've lost from just telling Kayla's story, just 
we do Facebook lives. We Stormies tried to hang flyers at different stores with the rewards and the stores remove them and like our local stores just remove the posters and they just nobody wants to hear about it. No nobody wants to hear about Kayla's case because of who who's involved in it, I I guess would be my only explanation for that. Kayla's parents and brother, family and friends, Katie, love Kayla and miss her and want answers. Kayla is deserving of this. There is a reason we are supposed to have compassion and empathy and love in our hearts. And as officers of the law, It should be imperative to have those qualities, but to also have a never-ending desire to know the truth, to make an arrest, to get justice for Kayla. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it so much, and thank you for getting Kayla's story out there. I'm sure she would, I know she would appreciate it. And she would have done this for anyone else. Well, it's my pleasure. And you stay well, okay? Yes, ma'am. You too. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank everyone for being here this week. I have been getting such amazing feedback from the families that tell their stories here. This is all thanks to you, our listeners. I greatly appreciate your support and dedication to Mourning the Murdered. While producing the podcast, I need many tools to be able to bring you quality content each week. I now have an affiliate link with Amazon. And by simply clicking on the link before you make your Amazon purchases, you are helping to support my podcast. Once you click on the link, you will be redirected to your Amazon page ordering as you normally would. There are no extra costs and no fees. Just go to my website, morningthemurderedpodcast.com, and click on the affiliate link. You can also, as always, support the podcast by sending a one-time PayPal contribution, or through Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month. All of the links can be found on morningthemurderedpodcast.com. So your help is only one click away. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. 
You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.